Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus magazine. Tonight's show will be very interesting, very important, but I'm asking everybody to make sure that there are no young children listening to our show. Uh, the, the, preferably no children of any age uh, should be listening to this show tonight. Uh, even though we're not going to say anything that it's to be so terrible, but we're going to say things that maybe will confuse them a bit. So, that, so I'm going to try to ask you to make sure that there are no young children listening to our show tonight. The topic is a very important one. It goes way, way, way back, but the present is literally frightening. There's a situation, and it... It's important to study it from the earliest we can and to understand what's happened, where we're heading, and everybody can understand that we have to do something. This week, two things occurred. One was I received an email from a gentleman who opened up my eyes to some things that are going on that I was unaware of. And then there was a second thing which became a news item which I... Literally changes the game and creates a, a big question mark for everything dealing with kosher today. We're not talking about um, we're not talking about kashrus per se, but we're talking about the what it means to have a kosher symbol on a product. What it means be, that the kashrus agency is saying that this product is acceptable. How far does that go? What does it include? Does it include anything dealing with ethics and morals, or doesn't it? Now, this topic is as old as the hills, because when I was growing up, they were talking about what the scandals that went on before with the different hashkochas, uh, some of them being the rabbis were on the take. I remember one story that I printed in the Conscious Magazine that was written in about a well-known very, 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 very respected rabbi. Very, very well-known and respected rabbi. We did not mention his name. I knew the name. We did not mention the name. Basically, in a nutshell, a, a gentleman was asked to go and to represent the rabbi to check for Pesach production at a certain facility. And he went, and he came there, and he saw that uh, there was a room that was locked, and they said, oh, that's nothing in there. And they, you know, producing their product, etc. And then, by mistake, it was an absolute mistake, he had forgotten his jacket or whatever it was, and he went back. And sure enough, they were in production, and that door was open, and they were using whatever was in that door, and obviously it was an issue at Pesach or whatever it was, it was an issue of Kashrus. So the rabbi called down the rabbi who hired him to go in. And the rabbi came down, and he said, no, this can't be done, and he went through a whole procedure, etc. And then afterwards, he told the rabbi that he asked to come down and represent him. He said, why did you have to come back? That was one story out of a million, but it was a, an, it was a, the man who sent him was a name that was respected by all Jews at that time. And only this man, who was close with him, 
knew the story. He had told it to his son. His son told it to me, and I felt it had to be reported in a conscious magazine, although I never gave Neri the name of the rabbi. It would have been extremely insulting to him. But this is a true story. Another story that I grew up on was the Boston Rebbe from Boston, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak Karowitz, Zatzal, who was, who was the, 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 the second Boston Rebbe. He was hooked after his father. And his father was an old man, came down to the... Uh, there was a, a meeting of a, uh, a rabbi, over a rabbi who was not acting properly in terms of kashras, and who had uh, violated the laws by allowing Treif go through, and there was going to be a meeting, and all these rabbinim came down from New York. And there was a meeting, and they were, they were talking about the, part, the issue back and forth, and it became like lunchtime, so they said, we're going to break for lunch, and we'll come back later on. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak's father, Pinchas David Horowitz, so he said, uh, take me to the railway station. So what are you talking about? He said, well, because he was an old man already, he couldn't see very well. He asked his son, Levi Yitzchak, to take him to the, to the, uh, the, 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 the train station. He said, what are you taking to the train station? Don't listen, listen to me. Take me to the train station. Came to the train station, and all the Rabbanim who were at the meeting, who had the Din Torah, who were supposed to paskin on this rabbi, were all heading back to New York. They realized there was no way that they could approve of what he did, and there was no way that they were going to fight with him, and they just walked out. And the Rebbe knew it. The Rebbe smelled it, and the Rebbe just went to the train station to say goodbye. That's how Kashrus was before I grew up. This was the old style. But did it ever go away? Mostly, but not all. And not and even if it wasn't as dramatic in our times, there were rabbis who wanted to take. But that's a rarity. When we talk about ethics and morals, <laughs> the words are almost the same. I think I understand the difference, but it's not so it's not so clear. You could use it almost interchangeably. But morals are, are your desire to be good, and ethics are allowable actions. So, it, in other words, are you, are you stealing? Then that's, uh, that's not an allowable action. That's breaking ethics. Morals would be something a little bit different than we're going to be discussing about tonight, about morals, about morality, and that's where the problem is in terms of kashras, that the issue of kashras today that's affected is an issue of morality. And that's what we're going to be having to discuss. Back a ways, I don't know how many years ago it was, there was uh, an organization that's called Uri Litzedek. It still, it still exists, I think. At least, it's, see, the website said it's still there. Uri Litzedek, um, and they called an organ, that's an organization, and they called their Hashkocha, call it what you will, it's not really Hashkocha, but they called it uh, Tav Hayashar, Hayosher. Tav Hayosher. In other words, they're going to decide whether the product is Yashras. Kashras, that maybe other people are deciding, but they're going to sign on the Yashras. So they, they were interested in fair pay, fair time, safe work environment. Those are the three issues that they work on. And uh, they have a few Hashkachas that they supposedly certify and say that they're acceptable to their standards. This is a more modern group. Um, 
and they're interested in the ethics of uh, fair pay and fair time and safe work environment. It's still important. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, there's one hashgacha, a national hashgacha, that refuses to give hashgacha on restaurants in Manhattan specifically because they know that the, they're paid off the books, they're un- the mashgichem, underpaid, and they're not, have no, they have no uh, ben- uh, medical benefits, and they, the, the conscious agency considers this totally unacceptable and refuses to give hashgacha on, re- on restaurants in New York City. Uh, I, I don't know what goes on outside of the city. I don't know where they, if they have any restaurants at all, but they're mocked on this because they, they're interested in fair play, but their hashkacha is their hashkacha. It's not just a, a game of uh, certifying somebody who is paying a lot of money to, to, a, to a worker or you know, maintains a certain kind of environment, etc. but it's, they're giving hashkacha, but they still have that second thing. Ethics is still there. And, and there are a lot of people who struggle with this problem in the conscious world. We've known about it for years and years and years when I was a kid growing up, and everybody knows that, that what the standards were in, a, in America years ago. I mean, forget about the crooked rabbis and the crooked owners and the dishonesty, and, and etc. But then people who would go into jail, you know, there's, there's plenty of ethical issues, but the topics that we remember when we were growing up was will you give hashgacha on mixed swimming? Will you give hashgacha on mixed dancing? And Baruch Hashem, overall, the Kashmir agencies and the whole world raised itself up to the challenge. And they eliminated most of the, uh, the uh, national hashgachas Will they will not give hashgacha on anybody who is, has, has mixed dancing. Um, and, and they're very careful about it, and Chilo Shabbos, etc., they, they don't allow it. The OU gives Hashkocha, for example, on a, on a conservative, uh, in a conservative te- uh, temple, they have a, uh, a caterer. And the caterer is glat kosher under the OU. And the OU is makpid, uh, nothing goes on in the ballroom. When you go into their building, which they, you know, they, they, they certify for the, for the affairs, there is no such thing as Chil Shabbos. If the people want to take pictures, they'll take pictures in the synagogue, in the conservative synagogue. If they want to use their cell phone, you'll be in the conservative synagogue. If they want a microphone, in the synagogue. In the ballroom, where they're serving, where they're serving the meal and where they're having the program, there is no such thing as Chil Shabbos. That's, that is the standard the OU has. There's only one, Zyrenal is only this one, uh, it, one caterer that's in a conservative synagogue that I know of. The reason why that whole thing exists is because the community needs a kosher caterer. There's a lot of shuls in the neighborhood, and they want the place, and this was a nice facility and large, etc. And they, they begged the OU to take the hashkacha and so that the other people can use it. But it's it's a very interesting phenomenon because the, you know the people who are not observant of Shabbos they they're very restricted they have to go in the and also you can't park in their parking lot the the, the synagogue has a parking lot but the parking lot of the of the caterer is closed on Shabbos you cannot park over there it's not possible 
So uh, it inconveniences a few people. Well, you know, so be it. <laughs> but the Ashkacha is a strong hand on that. And the, on the mixed dancing, years ago, it was very common. Now, the, now most of the Ashkachas have a control on it. There is one Ashkacha in, there's one situation in, uh, in, in, in Brooklyn. I'm going to keep quiet about where it is and who, you know, who it is. But there's one situation in Brooklyn where there's a national Ashkacha. But they can't give Ashkoch on, on mixed dancing. So when the place has mixed dancing, which it does, they don't give Ashkoch. And there's another rabbi who's got to be the goy to give the Ashkoch. He's a very wonderful rabbi, and he feels that uh, he feels he has to do it because of the community. But, um, you know, it, it's really an, it gone today, we've gone pretty much past it. There are some cases, sometimes there's uh, uh, people come from other countries, they have some, they have some, the, the, the old traditions, and they get they the traditional dancing, and they, they, they go on and do what they want to do. But, but uh, the uh, many Hashgachas are makpid 100%, you cannot do have mixed dancing in an affair that's under our Hashgachas. So they've, we've handled that situation, which is a morals issue, and, and, and we've handled uh, the ethical Issues and people are very careful, as far as I see. And we, we and we and our hashkachas today are pretty uh, responsible. Um, we don't have uh, too many people left who might be called cheaters. So we, we really have a, a very changed environment. There was another uh, organization in the conservative movement started something called Hechshel Tzedek which they thought was going to be a big deal, and they were calling it an ethical certification for kosher food. In other words, they really weren't giving Ashkocha for kosher. They were, you had to have an OU or something else. You had to have some Ashkocha already, and all the conservative movement was going to do was, was give an ethical certification. I don't know if it was like Tav HaYosher or Yosher, or not like Tav HaYosher, but whatever it was, they were trying to do something, and they got zero I don't think they got one hashkacha, one place. They, got, they disbanded it. So, I mean, there isn't any big call for that. People want kosher. This thing about ethics is very beautiful, and it does play a role. And, of course, if your person is cheating uh, his, his, the people he, that he's selling foods to, then he's going to be cheating unconscious also. It happens. A, a gentleman came to me totally embarrassed, intimidated that he that he had given in when he was working as a mashkiach, that the, the owner forced him, put him in a room, whatever it is, forced him, said, "Listen, you keep quiet." And he took and he took the vegetables that were not checked and he and he put them out. So uh, you know he didn't report back to his ashkacho because the owner paid him. This is unfortunately going on. But basically, we have honest people, decent people who are trying to do their best. It's certainly not like the wild, woolly West that it used to be. Uh, things have changed. But then there's a big but over here. There's an issue right now. And it's an issue that we all have to think about. It's about alternate lifestyles. So you ask me... What does the alternate lifestyle have to do with Hashkocha? So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you th three things. The first thing I'm going to tell you is what the um, email came to me from this gentleman. 
the email said in it that there are several areas, several ways that the kashrus agencies, and this is the national hashgachas, could be a smaller ones too, that they have their their name, they have their symbol on products, and the products are, are um, the products are promoting alternate lifestyles. So how do you do that on a box of uh, cornflakes? So what they do is they, they have now rainbow colors. All the colors of the rainbow. So some boxes right now are coming out with multicolored and it looks like a rainbow. Some boxes are coming out, packages are coming out saying rainbow. I'm not going to go into a discussion of what rainbow is. If you know, fine, fine. You don't know, you'll ask somebody else. And, but uh, that, that's, that's the story with the rainbow. So that itself is hurtful because we know what it means and, and we know that the hashkocha should not be supporting something which is immoral. And in a sense, that's what's being done. It goes more, goes further when you study the, these different organizations, these different companies. Some of the companies, and I, I, they, I was sent the information, so I looked at it. Some of the information, some of the companies today, very, very large companies, have on their website pages and pages of pro-alternate lifestyle living and how much it means to them and how much they support it. I almost, I was walking into a Walmart. I live now in Lakewood. I was walking into Walmart, and before I walked in, there was a uh, recording that you heard, which said that how wonderful it is that Walmart backs alternate lifestyle, and a special week for them, and it's such a wonderful thing. And that's before I walked into the Walmart. I had to get something quickly. I didn't stay there too long. But it, it wasn't, uh, uh, there wasn't much I could do about it. But, the, uh, but as far as uh, giving hashkacha, and they're promoting the alternate lifestyle, that is a problem of morals. It's a morality issue. It's definitely a morality issue. So we had this two-pronged thing, and that's where we were sitting until just this past week. Just this past week, there was a total accident, call it what you will, two restaurants, one under a national hashkocha, and one under, I don't know who the other one's under, but it's in a very from neighborhood, very from neighborhood, and only the front people could be possibly utilizing this place. And they, they, they hired somebody to do their advertisement online. And they run certain specials and stuff. And sure enough, they gave off 10 and 15% in the restaurants for the special alternate lifestyle week. For the alternate lifestyle week, they were giving a special. That's what it was announced on the website. So obviously, anybody who 
doesn't agree with ultimate lights, alternate lifestyles, would like to be an Orthodox Jew. So they they came and attacked the uh, the owners, and the owners issued an apology right away. But it became a very very big cause of celebra. I'm not going into the discussions were going on, what's happened after it, but it's it's it blew up. Uh, uh, of course, they didn't want it to happen, but it happened, which means that when somebody gives hashkocha, it could be very easily that this company that he certifies, and even could be a from rest, could be a from owner, could end up being trapped into this alternate lifestyle support system, which is very, very sticky. Years ago, the uh, Star K was caught in a situation which they uh, had to try to get out of. It was it was the early years, and there was a, a wedding that was taking place, called the wedding. It's called the wedding. I didn't say it's a wedding. It's called the wedding. I think something that's called the wedding, and it was an alternate lifestyle type, whatever it is, uh, wedding. And the the, um, the, 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 the the they came to a certain caterer that was under the star K, and they asked them to do the affair. Now, not to do the affair there would be a lawsuit. So they want to do the affair. But to do the affair with the hashkacha from the star K would be embarrassing to the star K. So what did the star K do? This is a one-time thing. I don't know if it ever happened again. But what did the star K do? They couldn't let the place be not under the hashkacha because it was not under the hashkacha. Then the kalim the utensils that were taken out to the, the facility and taken into the hotel, which is treif, without being properly certified by a mashkiach, is the same as taking your, uh, it, 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 same as turning your, your kitchen into treif because you're left alone with, with Goyim working over there. You can't do it. So you have to have a man there. But if I have a man there and I'm giving ashkocha, then I'm participating in this alternate lifestyle. So what the Astar K did was we, they removed the Hashkocha for that affair, but they sent the Mashkiach. But if they sent the Mashkiach, and he comes in with his beard and his payas and his sitzes hanging out, so everybody's going to see who it is, and some of these people who are Jewish, they're going to think, oh, well, it's okay, it's, you know, we have the Star K, et cetera, et cetera. So what he did, they did was they, they sent him in disguise. I don't know what he was wearing, but it was called a disguise so that he should not be recognized as a mashkiach. He was a worker, etc. But no one really knew that he was a mashkiach, except the people from the, from the catering, but, the, but the, the, the people who would see anybody in the kitchen would not know that it was a mashkiach that night. And there was no sign, that, and no, no, no mention that it was under the star K. And that's how they handled that situation. What do they do on a regular basis? I don't know. And, I, and this is a, a, a problem that's really plaguing all the different cautious organizations. And um, so let, let me go a little further and tell you what else I want you to know about, and then we'll try to discuss where we go from here. In 1986, I remember it very, very well, there was a special bill that was, that was uh, passed in New York City. It was called Proposition 50. And it was in order to give rights to the people who live alternate lifestyles. And this happened in New York City Council. 
and they passed this, this rights bill for the people who live alternate lifestyles. It was a 15-year battle. That means from 1971, they were trying to get this law passed, and it didn't. This bill would not pass, and eventually passed in 1986 with a margin of 21 to 14. It was a big fight. And the mayor then, the Jewish mayor, Mayor Koch, he said, the sky is not going to fall. There isn't going to be any dramatic change in the life of this city. That was 1986. Councilman Noah Deer, later on Judge Noah Deer, wonderful man who passed away just two years ago, the councilman Noah Deer led the opposition to, to this, op, this Proposition 50. And he said, we're going to go to the very end to see that this bill is defeated. What was the bill for? The bill was supposedly just to ban discrimination in housing, employment, and public accommodations. The supporters said it's a, a basic civil rights legislation. But the opponents, who were led by Councilman Noah Deer, contended that it put an imprimatur of acceptance of alternate, alternate lifestyles. And that's exactly what happened. That was the beginning of what we are experiencing today. It began with Proposition 50. And who fought Proposition 50? With tremendous effort, Rabbi Avigdor Miller. Yes, Noah Deer was down there trying to defeat the bill, but Rabbi Avigdor Miller was working behind the scenes, and Yehuda Levin was his appointee to try to do anything he could to prevent Proposition 50 from passing. And Rabbi Yehuda Levin went all everywhere, and he worked with the Goyim. He, wor he spoke for Goyim. He did everything he could to show that this is how we believe and what we want. And obviously, all his efforts didn't. I mean, it, it, it gets, he gets hard for it. But obviously, the law passed in 1986, and we see the development in the last 25 years. In, 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 in ways that uh, are scary, very scary. Uh, it's more than 25 years, it's th was it 35 years, I think. Um, it, it, tremendously scary things happening. We're talking about now people are absolutely petrified. Why do these organizations say all this stuff and do all this stuff? It's only because they're scared, because they, they think that they'll be successful uh, financially, and, and they won't have these people bothering them because these people create tremendous amount of lawsuits. They're fighting for their rights all the time and trying to influence and trying to get into the school system. In other countries, they're getting into the school system that you must teach the rainbow. You must support the rainbow. And you must allow words that are positive for alternate lifestyle. It's going to extremes, and we don't know where it's going to end up. So I 
went to the national conscious organizations and I went to the ACO and I told them something has to be done. And we hope and pray they'll, they'll figure out a way because there's tremendous legal issues. If a person will speak out against this, uh, this movement, if they'll speak out against those things, those that are already written into law, if they don't cooperate, if they don't, uh, if they show um, uh, a favoritism to, uh, to for different ways, and then and they don't do not cooperate, do not, uh, then you don't know where things are going to end up. There's a case right now; the good is involved in it, be, uh, where there's a, a Christian. Uh, Orphanage, and they don't want to give the a child up for adoption to an alternate lifestyle couple, and uh, they're being sued, and it's very, very, very sticky. So it's not easy. I don't know what the conscious agencies will do, but I told them an additional thing. I told them that there's a second that there's, there's problems in the future. It's not just the question of alternate lifestyles, which we're, which we're plagued with now, but there are three areas that I told them were going to be um, challenged with in the future. And I hope and pray uh, we don't, we're not, but I said to them, what would happen if on the packaging they want to put on um, something promoting uh, the use of marijuana, the use of... Uh, the, the permission to, to, to do euthanasia, because uh, euthanasia, which is, uh, you know, assisted uh, um, suicide, is becoming uh, a rage today. And cremation, which is affected outside of New York, 40 to 50 percent of the Jews are being cremated. Now, it's, I can imagine a time where there's going to be positive wording about one of these three on the packaging. Well, does the cautious agency want to draw the line? Where are they going to draw the line? I don't know. We have to help them. I don't know how we can help them. I don't know how, they, how they're going to handle it. But unfortunately, sitting on the sidelines is not going to work anymore because when your name is on something and it's promoting something, there's, a, there's an area which you have to take the hit that maybe somehow you're implicated. Okay, maybe indirectly, but maybe yes. Maybe you have to go back to where, in a time when they didn't put the symbol on the, on the packaging. You could read about it in Kashrus magazine, you could see it in all the newspapers and the magazines, but maybe you, you, you just won't see it on the package anymore. Maybe that's the way you have to go. In, at least in some of these places, maybe that's what's gonna have to be done, that we don't want a name on the packaging. To give the mashkocha is one thing. It means the product is kosher. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to matter. But on the packaging, where it's a public thing, I also became aware of this because this was this strange uh, lady. I told you about it a few weeks ago. This strange lady that was uh, attacking uh, uh, with the theory that that people are eating treif because. That she can't imagine how uh, the uh, the fake burgers taste like real burgers today, and and they claim that they're using synthetic things and uh, vegetable things are are not possible. She feels they're really using blood, etc. And what she did, I saw it. 
she, she was attacking the Hashkachas because the Hashkachas on the label and it says it's part of it, this and that and the other thing, and it's kosher and claiming it's kosher, can't be kosher so when, when somebody's going to see something on the, on the packaging, is it going to affect how they view what we think? Are they going to make a mistake and think we agree with it? Are they going to mis- make a mistake and, 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 and go that way because they think it's not so terrible? Look, 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 it's got Ashkocha on it. These are very, very dangerous areas. I, I don't know where it's going to, how far it's going to go. I remember in the old days when I was in Eretz Israel visiting, uh, we spent the whole summer there and I went around with the, with the Badats of the Eid Haredes and with the other different organizations in Eretz Israel. And I remember that there was a, a, a situation that occurred that summer that the Badats of the Eid Haredes took their Hashkoch off Pepsi. He took the Hashkoch off Pepsi and uh, they, uh, they, and the reason was because there was on the uh, packaging and on the advertisements, the Pepsi, actually it was Tempo, who owns the company there and, and produces it in Israel, but that company was promoting a Michael Jackson concert. And the Badat said, our name is not going to appear together with Michael Jackson concert, and they took their name off. They took their hashkacha off, told me remove the hashkacha, and then uh, they put it on when that whole thing was over. They did the same thing with dinosaurs. They're not going to appear together with dinosaurs. They remove the hashkacha, and it affects their uh, the, the bottom line of the company. So the company had a way, you know, losing the the, the sales uh, and and gaining the money from the advertisements and then the, the, the shtick that they're doing uh, versus losing the uh, the sales because of the badatzas off. But they, this is what went on. In America, no one would ever stand up for that. We are now being challenged. Where are we going to draw the line? Where are we going to draw the line? By the way, the end of that story was very interesting because when I went, uh, I went the, the day with, with the Mashkir from the Badatz of the Yedachareides, I went the day that they were opening up Pepsi again, putting it under Hashkocha again. So he came in. I told you the story before. If you heard it already, so please remind me. Um, came in, and the, the the worker there, the I don't know what is, what the plant manager, whatever he was, was showing us around, and uh, the, and my mashkiach wanted to check to see that uh, that it was that the, that the Pepsi came in with the certification from them because it was really the same Pepsi that's made in America and it's made in America, but they but the syrup. But they did it on special production for Badats for some reason. Whatever Badats accomplished with that, and uh, and, and they had to have the simonim on it that was was from them, and so he had to examine that they had the proper thing. So they asked him, this gentleman asked him, asked me, what would you like to drink? You know what's hot in there in Israel in the summer. So he, so he said uh, he, he offered us uh, you know some some soda. So he said, what would you like to drink? So the mashkiach for the badat said, Pepsi. <laughs> so the thing was, the Pepsi wasn't under his ashkocha. It was the time when it's supposedly not badats. And what was he drinking? Pepsi. Because he knew it's kosher anyway. Even if it didn't have the badats on it, it was the same kosher. It was the same product. It was the same thing come from the Pepsi company. And, uh, you know, but... When the badats was not on, 
You know, I mean, probably wouldn't maybe, I don't know what would happen then. And the same thing, we'd probably drink it too. Because we didn't do anything. It was in production, it was in the facility. What he was offering us to drink was from the time when it wasn't on Dashkach. But that was an interesting aside. Anyway, bottom line is the cashless agencies have a major challenge in front of them. It's going to affect us and... Uh, it, 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 it's going to affect the, how, how our hashkachas are viewed. And, you know, they're going to have to make a decision for morals, ethics and morals, where they're going to draw the line. I don't relish this, this situation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be in their position right now. I don't know what they're going to decide. They may just pass on it and close their eyes. They may make a decision. They may, they may decide how far they can go. They may say uh, that they'll control, the, get involved with the advertising people are doing. Maybe they're going to do something else. I don't know. But whatever it is, this is the challenge of our time. What's unfortunate is, I don't want to go into it, but many people are tying this little piece of the puzzle to some of the terrible things that are happening today. I don't want to go into the details. It's not for me to discuss. I did read something from ben, uh, Talmud Chacham, a Ben Torah, uh, uh, Talmud from Rav Hutner Zatzal, who said that in among the different people who the Rambam brings down are Mechuyiv in uh, Skila, which means pushing somebody off a uh, several-story high facility uh, in includes people who, who live alternate lifestyle. It's in Hilchas Sanhedrin, Perek Tesvav, Halacha Yud Aleph. And uh, that may be something that's important. It may be true. It may not be really related at all, but since we are having such a difficult time now, it's something that people should be thinking about. I'd like to share with you something that came across my desk. Uh, it's from the Dafa Kashras, the latest one, and uh, it's called Kashring After Products from Rabbi Gersten from the OU, uh, who explains the psak and the policy of the OU on the different issues. Uh, it's no, this piece I'm going to tell you now is very much uh, would affect people who are careful about Chol Yisrael. As you will see, and you'll, it's important to note how the OU's policy is on this particular issue. The question comes up, do you have to kosher after the product is used on equipment? If you want to do something that's a part of a run, and the thing before was, let's say, a dairy thing, uh, what's, what is the situation? So there's a lot of companies that don't use actual dairy. It's not like a, they, pour right, they pour milk into it, but it might be something that's dairy equipment. And the dairy equipment you know, has a certain level of dairy component mixed into it, supposedly. Sometimes it's just uh, heating something up on a... On a, on a piece of equipment, and sometimes it actually has a certain amount of uh, actual uh, dairy product entering in. So I wanted to share with you, it wouldn't take too long, I'd like you to hear this, uh, this topic. 
Let's say a company uses the dairy equipment in their making of their almond milk, and that's uh, one of the ingredients that they're using in the formula. The rest of their products contain only parva ingredients, and they want them to be labeled parva. So the problem is the machinery. All the products are, are baked using the same equipment. Do we require koshering after the dairy equipment is run, the product with dairy equipment is run on the facility, on the, on the machinery? The policy of the OU is that if the product contains a dairy ingredient, even if it's very, very small, and it's definitely bottle, it's bashishim, there's definitely 60 against it, the product still has to be labeled dairy. Even a small amount is in there, they don't say it's bottle. You don't say it's parva, because l'chadchili is supposed to use it only with dairy. However, let's say the ingredient is bottle uh, in the product, then you don't have to kasher the kalim because technically the kalim, the, the product is really not dairy. We are selling it as a dairy product. The OU is selling it as a dairy product, but the, but the OU knows that halakhically it's not really dairy to that extent that we should call it, you should, it that, that what comes from there would make the machinery dairy. So on the one level, if something is in, put in as an ingredient, we should call it dairy because we shouldn't use it with the with fleshics. But on the other hand, it absorbing from that into the walls of a pot should not make it need to be kashered. Similarly, if a product contains a dairy ingredient, a dairy uh, sorry, dairy equipment ingredient, the product has to be laid in DE or sometimes they put dairy on it, but that's understandable. However, what is not always so clear is whether the, the machinery has to be koshered. If the ingredient is not dairy per se, but dairy equipment, and it's bottle in the formula, there can't be any reason to kosher, because we just said even if it's really dairy, and it's in there and it's bottle, you don't have to kosher. But what if it's not bottle? Let's say you have not dairy, not milk in your product, but you have dairy equipment in your product. The amount of the dairy equipment item is more than the than bittel b'sheishim, so you're not bottle. But the point is, it's only dairy equipment. So the question is, do you need to kosher after after that product is run? In other words, let's say I have a product that has twenty percent dairy equipment. Something that's made on dairy equipment, and 20% of it goes into here. The 20% of my product that I'm running now on this equipment is dairy equipment. But it's not, it's only dairy equipment. It's not real milk. So do I say I have to kosher or not? Again, if it would be 20% milk, I would have to kosher. If it would be 20, if it would be um, 1%, milk, I wouldn't have to kosher because it would be bottle bashishim. But if it's now 20% dairy equipment, so it's a gray area. It's not milk, but it's dairy equipment. Dairy equipment has to be treated as milk. 
So, but it doesn't, does that, is that going to create a problem for kashering my equipment? Now, the interesting part is that we didn't get to yet, but we're going to get it in just a couple seconds, is that's fine as far as, uh, as far as dairy equipment for somebody who accepts Chalavstam. But if you don't accept Chalavstam, then you're getting to a question of whether you look at this as heter or iser. If I don't eat Chalavstam, so even though it's called dairy equipment, but if I wouldn't eat it, then is it going to be bottle? It's a question. We'll get there. Now, had the dairy, I'm sorry, dairy equipment ingredient been made on Chol of Yisrael Kalim, then it, it would be fine, because you have not, by not, by not. I'll explain that to you. It, it gets related to what we did last week. Not, by not, by not means it's three steps away. There's the dairy that went into the equipment. Then there's the thing that I'm producing on that equipment, that's the secondary taste. And then there's the, then there's the fact that I'm taking that dairy equipment product uh, ingredient and putting it into a food and producing that on equipment. So by the time the, my equipment gets a taste, it's getting a third level, not the original milk that went into a, some equipment over there that made the ingredient, not the ingredient itself, which is a secondary, because it came off that equipment. And it's a third level because it went into my equipment. So now it's got inside, my equipment has inside now a third level of dairy. And if it's from Chalav Yisrael, then it's called not by not by not. It's all kosher, no problem. The problem comes up if it was done on non-Chalav Yisrael equipment. So how does that work? And for, for Hasidim, people who are very careful about Chal of Yisrael, then using something that's not Chal of Yisrael is considered to be usr, forbidden. So how are they going to deal with this thing uh, where something is produced in a non-Chal of Yisrael setting? you got dairy equipment. So let's take, for example, almond milk was produced on dairy equipment. So the almond milk produced on dairy equipment is now mixed into this product here in a ratio of, let's say, 20%. But if it was on Chalvistam equipment, and I'm Machpen on Chalvistrael, Me'ika Hadin, like a Chosid, or somebody else's Machpen, Me'ika Hadin, then it becomes problematical because I, the, my equipment should be kashered. And I should be very careful about that because even if I'm, new, I'm eating parva, not this stuff, I wouldn't touch this stuff, but the parva is being run on the equipment that the dairy equipment from over there, from the Chal of Stam, got into. I don't know if you catch the whole drift, but basically the bottom line is, do we have to be worried about Chal of Yisrael, uh, I'm sorry, Chal of Stam actually creating a problem for equipment that would otherwise be parva? That's the question. Whether it's something that's dairy equipment, Chalavstam, could make machinery that's producing parva unacceptable, especially to a person who eats Chalav Yisrael. 
So let me just zero in on the uh, on, on on the way the uh, the 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 OU deals with it. They consider uh, it's not necessary for all the almond milk to be bottle, just the tam cholov that is in the almond milk. So in the almond milk, it's not milk. Almond milk is not milk, but the tam something came from the other ingredient that they're using that that ingredient that tam the taste from that ingredient should be nullified. And the, they're basing it on a psak from the Prima Godim and Igris Moshe. The, the Moshe Feinstein in Yoridea, the second Chalik Yoridea, Lamed Dalit says that since it is only a lach balach, a liquid, it's not a solid, so liquid mixed into liquid is a, we don't, I, I don't think I can explain this so easily to everybody here tonight. It's called, we don't say Hanan, Belach Belach, Bishar Isurim, and that's, the, that's, that's a remor. So bottom line is like this. I'll read in the English way. <laughs> Forget about the lumpus. He says over here, that since we only view the almond milk as containing a 10% absorbing absorbance of dairy, it is you, it is, if it is used in the dough at less than 15%, all the dairy taste will be bottle and there's no need to kosher. So in other words, what they're doing is they're looking at something made on dairy equipment and figuring out what percentage of dairy flavor would be in that ingredient, and they don't need. They feel they don't need to have a nullification of the ingredient, but just the dairy component of that ingredient. So he's going to give you an example now. If the dairy product made at the factory was not milk, but was a drink that contained twenty-five percent dairy, then the almond milk would be only 2.5% dairy because they're using that as only an ingredient. Once it's mixed with other ingredients, it will be bottled, and therefore they consider that they don't need to kosher the equipment. Here's another example. A, a dairy chocolate might contain as much as 20% milk powder. If the next run of chocolate will be more than 12 times the volume of the utensils, but all the absorbed dairy would be bottle. Although it's referred to as DE, the dairy uh, is already bottle, even if the next run of chocolate is only six times the walls of the kalim. So this is, the, I mean, it's a lot of lumbus here. The bottom line is, when the OU approaches the question about Cashering equipment from parava, from some running something which is technically the dairy component is bottle. They do not feel the need to kasher the equipment to make it parava because the dairy component of the food did not make the 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 the, 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 uh, the utensils did not make the machinery actually dairy. So they don't feel a need to kosher it. The question comes up regarding people who are careful about Chalv Yisrael.
and to the level of considering Cholostam to be not kosher. So the, the OU clearly says that they're going with the opinion of Moshe Feinstein, who is lenient about this with the issue of Hanan. There are others, obviously, who go a different way. So people who are Nizr on Chalb Yisrael Me'ika Hadin should take concern about products that are parva, that, they, that are run on equipment where dairy equipment ingredients are used. If you understood me, fine. If you didn't understand, I'll just tell you a story. Because the stories we can understand. Many years ago, there was a, uh, a, a run on bagel chips. And somebody told me, I won't tell you who, <laughs> because I never told anybody about who told me. And I, I'm af- I was afraid to say it at that time. One of the national hashgachas gave a certain um, gave hashgacha to a certain product, and it had the national hashgacha and it had a Hamish hashgacha. So, the uh, people told me that the not the equipment, the oil that was making the bagel chips had been in had been, in that oil had been run dairy. And the, the, the oil was dairy. That's what they told me. So, uh, and the bagel chips were, were labeled as parva, and they were under a Hamish Ashkocha and a National Ashkocha. But when I became aware of this, so I went to the National Ashkocha. Don't ask me why, I don't want to go into the details now, I don't want to get in politics. But I went to the National Ashkocha and I told them the problem. So they said to me, Our Rabbanim know about this. They wanted to know how I found that. I never told them. But they wanted to, but they asked me, they, they said to me, we knew about this problem, but we, 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 we sat down on it, and we realized that the dairy component is bottle. So uh, in the bagel chips, it's bottle. So I said, that's very good for most Jews, but you have a Hamashashkacha, and the product is being marketed to the Hasidim and to the right-wing world who is very careful about Chalv Yisrael. According to them, according to people who are Makpen Chalv Yisrael and hold that Chalv Stam is treif, then this product is treif because the dairy went into the oil. Now all the oil is treif. So the oil is making the bagel chips treif. So they told me at the, at the Kashas organization, they said, thank you very much, Rabbi Wickler, we're going to look into it. They looked into it, they got back to me, we're going, like you said, we're recalling the whole thing. And, and, and that's the way it had to be done. Because anyone who's makpid, I mean, they're buying that product because they want the highest level of kosher. Uh, I, and uh, th- that was that was that famous story. Uh, I told it over to the people involved in it, and uh, you know it's, a, it's, not, it's not the same people running that organization. And uh, you know it's 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 a it's a classic story about how you can look at things in two different ways. So now that you have this article, anybody wants to get it, uh, it's in the most recent issue of Dafa Kashras, and it's by Rabbi uh, Rabbi Gersten. And if you wanted more details, I'm sure he would help you with it. Uh, obviously, that's the OU approach, 
And it's only the people who are careful about Chav Yisrael from the Ika Hadin, meaning that they would they consider non-Chav Yisrael as treif. We're not talking about people who are following Ramosha Feinstein, that it's kosher, but we're, mach, but we're machmir. We're not taking that opinion. If the people who are taking the opinion that non-Chalv Yisrael is not kosher, according to them, there could be an issue here. And, uh, but it's only according to that group and not anybody else. Okay, thank you very much for listening. I told you it was going to be a little bit challenging, and uh, we hope to be able to join you again next week. So then, anyway, till, until then, next time, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashus Magazine. We've mailed out the Kosher Travel Guide. Anybody who wants to get a copy, it's $9. You can call us up, 732-534-9363 or 718-336-8544 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. Or you can call us up to find out where you can get a copy of uh, the Kosher Travel Guide to 418 uh, cities across the United States of America, all 50 states. And also the kosher, tra- the kosher Supervision Guide, the 2021 and 2022 Kosher Supervision Guide has come out uh, to the 1,493 different hashgachas across the world. So if you're interested in that book, you can get it from us as well. Thank you very much, and wishing you a wonderful week.